the measure with which you face your fear is the measure with which you allow your power to shine. Hello and welcome to Fear Itself with me, Cressida Bonus. In this podcast, I'll be asking people from all walks of life about fear to find out what it can teach us about ourselves and the world around us. We'll discover how fear limits them, how it motivates them and how they find the courage to face it head on. But before we begin, I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, Codex Beauty Labs. I don't know about you, but a lot of the time when I'm putting products on my skin, I don't really know how clean the ingredients actually are. Often beauty companies make these bold promises about their ingredients, only to be short on reality. But Codex Beauty Labs, on the other hand, represents what is good in the beauty industry today. What I love about Codex is their transparency and commitment to science. Their pioneering products are composed of clean and meticulously sourced ingredients and have clinically proven skincare benefits. Even more reassuring is that their wonderful founder is an award-winning PhD scientist herself. Simply put, Codex exceeds market expectations in sustainability and cleanliness. Each day, they work towards their mission to blend plant biology and biotech innovation and to create true, long-lasting plant-based biotech beauty. I'm really happy I found these wonderful products, and I highly recommend them. They smell absolutely delicious and make your skin feel silky soft. You can find Codex at codexbeauty.com. My guest today is Britta Fernandez-Schmidt, Executive Director of Women for Women International UK. Britta is a passionate advocate for women's empowerment, rights and equality. She writes about the challenges of poverty and conflict faced by women all around the world. In this episode, Britta tells us about her new book, Fears to Fierce, the title alone being enough to flip your entire view of fear upside down. On top of that, she teaches us how to lean into our fears. She explains why fear is a fundamental and important part of the human experience, and she even forces us to pay attention to the little things like what it means when we get goosebumps. Britta first found inspiration very early on in life, growing up in Venezuela. Yes, that's right. And that's definitely when I first, if I kind of look back over my life, that's when I remember most vividly feeling this fire in my belly. And I remember that moment of moving with my family from Germany to Venezuela. My parents are teachers and they were going to teach at the German school in Caracas. And I remember just moving into such a different context and and seeing poverty for the first time with my own eyes and and seeing how it affects humans and and then also seeing how it affects women so disproportionately because i saw women doing all the the hard work and and and, and fending for themselves and often looking after children on their own and and it just didn't sit right with me. You know, it was just more really an instinct. So it wasn't so much a head-heavy um, thought process. It really was a, this, this kind of reaction that comes from deep within your body that kind of was like a screaming, this, this is not right. This is definitely not right. And I could also see how women were just accepting that fate and that they were, you know, that was just how life was and that men were treating them badly and that was just how it was. And and I wanted to 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 do something about saying, you know, it 
doesn't have to be like this. And it's not just how it is. We can, we have the power within us to question that. I mean, obviously, I didn't have those words at the time. I just had that really overwhelming feeling. And it it, it did feel, you know, much bigger than me. And and that was hard, you know, but that's that's kind of what I remember. Um, and I think mm. it was like an awakening. It's interesting because I think sometimes when we're children, we just naturally feel inspired by so much around us and we and we have that kind of playful energy. And then something happens, it feels, when we're teenagers or we hit 13 and the fear sets in. And I wonder why, where that where that comes from. Definitely what I have observed in myself, but also in my children or in, in my nieces and nephews. And you see this, this um this pureness to approaching life and not really questioning um, who you are. You just are. And you respond from that place of being, right? And the curiosity that you see in children. And then as you say, gradually, as you grow up, you become more aware of the world around you and maybe the humans around you and the expectations that um, these humans have on you or that, that you, and, and which are obviously not necessarily their own expectations, but it's actually the expectation that they've inherited, you know, often through generations, which, which what I call obviously societal norms. And then obviously the gender roles that you're expected to play, which are part of those norms, and you become more aware. And then and then you start to realize that there is a disconnect between that fire that you feel within you, that essence that is you, and these norms, which are there to put you in a box you know, whether that's the box that you're a woman, or whether that's the box that you're tall or you're small or you're intelligent or not, or, you know, whatever that label is. And there are obviously multiple labels that we we start to then kind of put onto ourselves because we want to fit in, because we want to be liked. And that then becomes this fight that I remember really, really well. I had this fire in me and I realized that that fire was not really acceptable and this is, I think, where it's particularly, I think, for women and for young women and girls, you, you, you wake up and you realize that you're not supposed to be powerful and powerful, not being in a sense that you want to, you know, rule others, but powerful in, in, in the power that's within you. And that's when the process starts of making your power smaller and, and just in order to fit in because you think you're going to be liked that way. Um, and then at one point in your life, later on, you know, depending on what happens in your life. There's this moment where you start to realize that that's what happened to you. You look back and you remember your 15-year-old self and then you kind of think, hmm, what happened there? And then you start to <laughs> unpack, yeah. unpack those boxes. <laughs> and unpack those fears. And you, you say in your, your book as well that, the, that it's really important to find what we are afraid of so then we can learn from those fears which is you know one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast and I love doing this project so much is because it's it's sharing these these fears and where they might come from and obviously we all we all fear um I think we all do I don't believe in this term fearless that that some of us don't fear I think we all do um in different ways and I wanted to ask you Britta what how do you define fear First of all, I want to say that's so important that you said that, Cressida, because it's so interesting sometimes now with the work that I'm doing around promoting my book, people are introducing me as the fearless Britta. And, and I always 
want to point out, that is most certainly not the case. <laughs> In fact, I don't know anybody who's fearless. And I've been saying, if there's anybody out there who is fearless, you know, get in touch with me because I want to know how that is possible. What's um, the secret? Exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, I would potentially even get to the point where I feel that I mean, I definitely don't don't aim for that even anymore. It's not it's not an aim for me, because I think that I have realized that there is a role that fear plays in helping you to understand yourself better. And it's part of our human experience. I genuinely believe it's part of our human and such a fundamental part of our human experience. And obviously it has. So fear means a lot of different things, right? So there is obviously an innate role that fear plays in keeping us safe. And so obviously the, the the kind of instinct of fear that you feel when you're walking in the middle of the night and you hear something strange, you know, that is that is obviously an instinctual fear that is really important and keeps us safe. But I also think those other fears that are more generated, as I say, because of the thought processes that we go through, because of our mind suggesting to us that we're not going to be safe if we're not liked or we're not going to be, you know, those fears also, I have realized, have a function the challenge is that um, when that fear first arises, you cope with it in different ways. And in that moment, those coping mechanisms are vital because they keep you safe, right? So say at a young age, maybe you have experienced um, abuse and that's obviously immensely scary. And then as a result of that, you you start to believe something about yourself that helps you to recover from that abuse. Or maybe you start to develop, you know, certain certain patterns that help you just to keep yourself going. But then at a later stage in your life, when you have moved on and that fear is no longer and really actually there, you're still held captive by it because of the mechanisms that you learned then that you haven't yet unpacked. And that's why I think it's so interesting. And that's why I encourage everyone to lean into fear. So rather than run away from it and say, oh, I'm just going to, you know, put it to one side and just close my eyes and then maybe it's going to go away. Well, it won't. If anything, it just goes bigger and, and, and you shrink because the fear will just eat everything up. And you know, as you're kind of trying to withdraw from it, it will go greater. And so what I say is lean into that fear that become intimately familiar with it, like say high fear, you know, what exactly are you? Because we often don't even really describe our fear, we just say, oh, I'm just really scared. You know, but exactly how scared are you? And how does that feel? And where does it manifest in your body? And what is it telling you? And where did you first feel that kind of fear? So, so it's like, um, like detective work and that fear can play a really important role, right? And and actually, I, I really relate to that because the times when I step into fear and I do something that I think, oh my God, this is terrifying, I feel, after I do it, I feel so much better. <laughs> but if I don't do it, then I feel worse and the fear just is massive and actually really overwhelming. And I've had that so much in my life with, you know, the fear of not being good enough or the fear of rejection, the fear of failure. But if I turn, if I just don't do anything about it and I don't, step into it like you were saying it just increases mm, exactly and you know Cressida I think that it's really interesting because the when you step into your fear that actually is your fears being activated as being seen being recognized and so it is true that to the measure with which you face your fear is the measure with which you allow your power to shine and and when you do that 
it's an act of self-trust and it's in self-affirmation and that's why you feel so incredible when you do it because you're actually true to your most innermost power and essence and that's why it's so powerful and it's always rewarded in that way. I'd love to talk to you about your, to unpick your fears a bit. Mm -hmm. So your childhood fears, you said that one of your biggest fears was that you were not normal, which I definitely had that too. And I still have that. And then I realized actually none of us are normal. What am I, what am I even talking about? You know, we're not, none of us are, are normal, but can you say what you, what you meant by this? I love that so much, Chrisella, because this is literally how, so I, I'm going to take you back to um, the 15-year-old Britta who just moved to Venezuela and who was observing all this inequality and was I was so angry. I had this fire in my belly and I just wanted to scream at the rooftops like, hello, everybody, this is so wrong. Why are you not doing anything against this? And I didn't see anybody else on the rooftop <laughs> and there was no one listening down there. And it was, that was my perception, obviously, right? And I felt totally alone in this feeling. And because I didn't see anybody around me, and if anything, I just saw people saying, just, can you calm down? Like, wow, I mean, you're really intense, you know, can you just... And so the messages I was getting was that there was something wrong with me. And I had to conclude that there was something wrong with me because I couldn't see anybody else who felt the way I did. And I saw everybody telling me to be different to what innately I was feeling. And so I had to come to the conclusion that there was something wrong with me. And, and, and I just really, and, and, and I actually, like fundamentally that I was not right. So it wasn't that I had done something that wasn't right. No, no, that I was not right. So really like the essence of you, which is really important because that's the most scary place to be if you fundamentally think that there's something wrong with you, you know, rather than maybe having made a mistake. And that really shakes your foundations. And that's what happened and affected everything. It affected how I felt about my body. I, you know, I thought I was too tall. I was too loud. I was just too much. It, it was just all. And so then I started to literally shrink myself in, in so many ways, by the way. And I see this happening a lot to a lot of young women. And it breaks my heart. And it, I think it is about this fitting in, literally physically fitting in, mentally fitting in, and just literally mutilating yourself in so many ways. And obviously now, like you say, Cressida, um, for a number of years now, I've been really clear and I've realized that this sense of, you know, wanting to be normal in its own right actually is, is a concept that does not serve us. It doesn't serve us, it doesn't serve anybody. And, and like you say, you know, I, as I then went to university and then, and I actually met other women who felt like me, it was like this, okay, okay, it's, it's actually not that I'm abnormal. I just hadn't met, you know, I hadn't met other people who, who you know, are able to express how they feel. And then I realized the more I did my work and now with the women that I coach, every single one says, you know, I just, I just think that I don't really fit in and I just don't really fit in. And I'm like, oh, okay, right. So we all feel that. So this is this one big conspiracy theory that someone <laughs> has kind of come up with, right? Oh, let's use this concept of normality to really freak everybody out. And that's where we can control them. <laughs> and and at the time, did your parents, what did they say to you? Were they saying to you, oh, but you're too much? Or were they encouraging you to be you? Yes. Do you know, I am... Um, this has been re really, really recently, I've been thinking about this. And I think that 
my father definitely gave me the sense that I was too much for him. And that was not because he was a horrible man. On the contrary, he's a really lovely man. But I think I was too much for him, but not because there was anything wrong with me, but because actually for him, in his stage of life and who he is as a person, that was something that I triggered in him, right? And so he, but he gave me the impression that I was too much. And obviously as a child, you don't have that understanding of self-awareness and, you know, of how, how actually it's often not your problem. It's their problem in inverted commas. And so that's kind of the messaging that I got from my father. And, but then from my mother, she always um, encouraged me. And I really always felt seen by her and, and respected in my fierceness. And this is to, to this day. I think sometimes she also didn't understand it, but that not understanding did not keep her from, from allowing it. And from recognizing it from, you know, just, and, and that's what I feel is what we can do for each other, isn't it, Cressida? That we can, we don't necessarily have to understand it, but we can make space for it and we can show an interest in wanting to understand. And that's, I think, actually goes for the whole world. And that it would make a huge difference to how we live as, a, as humanity. There's a story that I found really striking in your book about when you were young and you were living in Venezuela and you were at the dinner table with your with your family and you had this experience with with your dad that it feels like a real turning point in your story can you tell us a bit about what happened then yes exactly that's right and it was just such a you know i mean to the point where i now question whether it actually really happened but it's so it's so clear in my mind that obviously I haven't made this up and it's but it was just a, such a key moment we were having um dinner my brother my mum and my dad and and at the end of dinner my father who was actually quite progressive just it turned to me and said can you go and help your mum tidy the table and my brother was sitting next to me he's 18 months younger than me and you know physically totally able to also help tidy the table and and it was the same, the same kind of instinct, like, uh, what? Excuse me? <laughs> What's going on here? And I think it was, you know, he, um, I think to free ourselves from the traditions and from the beliefs and from how we've been conditioned is immensely difficult. And even if at some point in our lives, we're perhaps more progressive, and my dad was, sometimes if we don't continue to be really aware of, of, of our internalized bias, we will inadvertently revert back to those old traditions, even though they don't really fit with us. And that's, I think, is what happened with my dad when he said that, because it was it was really strange, but it, it gave me a big awakening. So, you know, thank you, dad. <laughs> no, my dad is similar. I think it's also that generation thing that just they've been brought up in a certain way. So they think that that's the norm. And actually, it's like, hello, that we're living in the modern world. This is not this is not okay. Do you know what, Cressida, it just occurred to me that that there's also fear, that fear also plays a really big role, right? Because I think what happened to my dad was that he probably was fearful as to what would happen to me if I didn't kind of learn the ways of the world in terms of what is expected of me as a woman. And maybe there was also fear that he needed to assert 
you know, his his ego, right, as a, as a father, as the head of the family and, you know, having that control over women. That's very much part of this notion of, as a man, to be powerful, right? And this fear that kind of comes creeping in that if you don't assert your authority, you're not going to be worthy, which is the kind of flip side for men, I think, where, where this conditioning comes in and where fear plays such a big role that then leads to an abuse of power. But it's, I mean, it's obviously, it can be understandable, but it still doesn't make it um, acceptable necessarily. But when you said to me, you shared your greatest fear, which is not mattering, I was really surprised because everything that you do in your work, all the women that you're helping, all the talks that you do, I watched this amazing TED talk on YouTube that you that you did. It was so moved me to tears, and and the way you hold yourself and the way you speak, I would never think that that is your your fear. Yeah, you know, Cressida, it took me a, a really a long time to get to the bottom of my greatest fear. You sometimes think because it's the greatest, it's the most obvious. You know, like with buildings, the biggest buildings is the easiest one to see. Well, with fear. <laughs> It's the other way around, isn't it? Your greatest fear is hidden, deep, deep down hidden under layers and layers and layers of fear. So it's like this deep dive and you've got to have to keep diving and keep diving and unpacking your all these other fears before you get to your greatest fear. And that's, it took me a long time because before I would have said, you know, I'm just really, I'm really scared that I'm not good enough. I'm really scared that you know, I'm, I'm too loud. I'm really scared that I'm not strategic enough. I'm whatever. All these things that people might have said one day to me, and then I kind of owned them and believed them. And then they became, you know, I, I, I was scared that I wasn't all of these things. And unpacking all of that in the end of the day got me to the place where I realized that my greatest fear actually is that I don't matter. But where do you think that started? So the, there was this, there was a specific moment when I had this immense aha moment where it kind of, I had uncovered my greatest fear. And it came in a moment when I was considering a new job, right? Stepping into a bigger role. And I was really worried. I was really worried that I wouldn't be able to do it and that I wasn't good enough and, and what people would think and say. And, you know, and I was unpacking this with a coach. And she said, yeah, but what, what are you really scared of? You know, what's the worst that could happen? Well, you know, that they think that, um, that I'm, you know, that I'm not good enough. Yeah. But then, and then what? What's the worst that would happen then? You know, and so literally, they, and this is the, this is kind of how you can do this detective work. What's the worst that would happen? Yeah. But then, but then what? But then what? So, and then she says, okay, right. So now the worst has happened. So now repeat after me. You're just going to stay where you are. You're not going to venture forth. You're just going to be safe. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to ch ch challenge yourself. You're not going to, because that way then people will never think all of these things. And I had to repeat this. And then, she, and then she said, and that means that you're not going to have the impact that you want to have. And you're just going to do, you know, because, because obviously that happens, right? If you don't stretch yourself, you're not going to achieve the things that you want to achieve actually deep down, right? And so that then took me to the place where I had to repeat, I had to say, okay, so I'm, so I'm not going to help more women. I'm not going to change the lives of many more women. And I could barely say it, Cressida. I literally couldn't say it. And when I managed to say it, I was, I burst out in floods of tears 
for me to have to say, no, I'm okay. I'm just going to stay here and I'm not going to help women. <gasps> I, I, and that's when I had uncovered my greatest fear. That actually my greatest fear is that I'm not going to be true to my fears that I'm not going to help more women, that I'm not going to fulfill my purpose, which is to inspire more women to follow their fears. It nearly, it, it was like, and it was so, so powerful that I feel like I, I, there was a big shift. It doesn't mean that I'm fearless now, but it just means that I will always remember that. That is my greatest fear, that all these other fears of like standing up in front of, a, you know, of when I did my TEDx talk, I was really scared, really scared but not as scared as when I think that not helping more women. And obviously I do everything I do, whether it's my conversation with you or with them, because I believe that when, when we share honestly and we open ourselves up, we create space for other people to do the same. And that's the greatest gift you can ever give, but it takes courage and it takes that kind of commitment. It takes that self-knowing. And I think it's also about the stories that we tell ourselves in our heads that no longer serve us, but it, that it's just a habit and it's on kind of, you know, like a, a loop. You know, mine is, is self-doubt and it's just, you know, looping, looping, looping. And I think, you know, what we were speaking earlier and what you just touched on as well is that instead of not doing anything and, and avoiding it, just stepping into it and into our into our fierce which I would love to ask you what what you say fierce is all about because when I first read your got your book I had a real problem with the word fierce before I read it fierce to me is like a really <laughs> aggressive word and I really am a strong believer that there's so much strength in gentleness but then I read your book and I realized oh no 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 I now have a completely different idea about the word fierce. So please, will you tell us what yeah, that is? Do you know, um, so I chose that, well, that word chose me, Cressida. It was, the, the, the word came and it just, it just was like, it slotted in. It was right. And, and I had people as I was, you know, as I was writing my book and I was sharing that this was going to be the title, they say, oh, but you're not aggressive. You're not fierce. You know, you, you're really lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought was oh my god I don't and then because I'm so interested in labels and how they they restrict us right and how they keep us in a certain place that isn't really um malleable and doesn't allow for the ever-changing nature of who we are I quite like to take words and 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 reassign them meaning and and, and also provoke perhaps um that response and, and then that thought process, because it shows us that we're all alive. You know, we're still alive. We haven't turned into robots <laughs> who just simply put people into boxes and labels and, you know, and so, but I also love, what I love about the word fierce is the power of it. It's the power. It is powerful, right? That we then think it's aggressive. That is a cultural kind of, you know, um, assimilation, I think. But the, 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 the essence of the word, and I obviously looked it up, is, is, is that powerfulness, that, that feral, that untainted by conditions. You know, it's, it's raw, it's real, it's the essence, it's fierce. It's just, it just is. It's, you know, it hasn't been tamed yet, I guess. And, and I felt that that described how I feel when I'm inspired, when I'm ignited. It's this power within me. That's kind of how it feels. It feels fierce. 
it feels you know sometimes stronger than than I think I am absolutely it feels untamed you know exactly because it, it makes me feel that I don't fit in you know in terms of the external society but you know I do it does fit really well within me it, it feels familiar this is me and that's why uh, I wanted to to use that word and and then for my TEDx talk actually I came up with this title fierce to fierce and I and I just really liked it I just loved it and um and I thought maybe this could become something you know over time that people would think in their head you know fierce to fierce I can hold fear and fierce within me and I can I can move through fear and I can decide to follow my fears and yeah. that could be something to to hold on to and in the book Britta you speak a lot about purpose and being inspired and those are the two things that I've really taken away from the book actually because when I feel in inspired it does ignite something within me and actually in, in lockdown very randomly I started writing children's books and I just didn't stop for air I loved it so much um, and when I was reading a book I thought oh I was thinking about when the last time I was inspired other than this podcast and speaking to people was writing these children's books. It was that feeling and you talk in your book about having goosebumps when you have that feeling. And I had that feeling. That's it. That's it. And I have it right now. I have goosebumps my, uh, over my whole body because I'm really, this is something I do. I really tune into my body. And, you know, as I said earlier, I really ask myself, where do I feel, you know, fear or where do I feel inspiration and, and, and goosebumps is, you know, it's your body telling you, Ding, hello, you know, pay attention, Britta, you know, this is important to you. And we have lost touch, I believe, with really being in touch with our bodies. You know, our bodies are, need to be functioning, they need to look good, they need to do but we, we're not asking our bodies, oh, body, tell me, how are you? You know, what are you trying to tell me here? Because, I mean, this is it's a powerful tool that we have, you know, that can help us to understand ourselves so much better. So goosebumps are like the best thing. So I always say, when did you last feel goosebumps? And why did you think you did? Or next time when you feel goosebumps, stop, just stop for a second. Just now I did, you know, as I was feeling these goosebumps when you, and I could see you writing these children's books, right? And, and I had this re real, I could sense, I could sense your inspiration, right, in, in my body. And, and the reason why I had goosebumps is because I love nothing more than witnessing another person's fears being ignited and following, on, following through with it. Because you followed through with it. You wrote them, even though, or maybe particularly because, you don't know where this is going to take you. I didn't know where my book writing was taking me at all. I didn't know. I literally just, it, it appeared in front of me and I followed it because this is the thing, this is the beauty about your fears. If you follow it, it will show you the way. And then you can have these moments when you stop and you ask yourself, and this is what I try and do with my book, particularly the first part, where I have a whole series of questions that I encourage you to, to answer you know, um, and, and in fact, I, was, I felt really tempted to say to you, Krista, okay, well, let's talk about this. So why did you write the book? What is important about the writing? What is it about the story? What is it about children? What is it? Because I know we will find the answer and you would absolutely get to a point where you have a number of words. And if we string them together, they will form your purpose statement. Yeah, 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 your purpose. Yeah, which comes from 
from that inspiration that you're feeling. And actually, when I was writing these books, I had no idea. Again, I really didn't know why. And I still don't know why, to be honest. I just, I just loved doing it. I think, especially women, that there's so much within us that we, for whatever reason, I think just history, the history of women and being repressed, and there's so much within us which we can't get hold of. And if only we could just, you know, like you did, you know, from quite a long young age, found that purpose. If we could just find that purpose, which I also think changes, doesn't it? It's not like, it doesn't have to be set. It's not like, okay, well, this is my purpose. The other thing is there's a difference between ego purpose, isn't there? Purpose for your ego and actual authentic purpose. I think this is exactly it. And so the purpose is an expression of your fears, right? So your fears is your essence and it's there and it, it, it's, it's linked to your intuition and it, it's, it's not, not the rational, what you would label as rational thoughts in your head, right? It's a power from a different source that taps into your beautiful mind. You know, so this is not about, you know, the fears against mind. No, no, no. It's actually about aligning it all. But it's about valuing your intuition and that fierce power within you at least equally to the kind of rational thought and the mind. Because at, we live in a society that just values thought and mind over everything. And that that's kind of a that's like an imbalance that I think I'm trying to, I guess, address and bring us back into balance with the mind and the fears and your body. So so then doing this detective work of finding out what gives you goosebumps, what matters to you, Cressida? Because this is the question ultimately. What matters to you and how do you want to matter, right? So you find out what matters to you through um, inspiration and, and, and kind of digging deep and understanding what matters to you. And then you sit for a moment and you think, so how do I want to matter in the world, therefore? And the way that you can um, help yourself, obviously, you don't have to. You will still matter even if you don't write a purpose statement. But it has helped me greatly to actually sit down and say, my purpose is to help other women follow their fears. And obviously, I have changed my purpose statement over the years, you know, regularly. When I, before I found the word fierce, I obviously that was not part of my purpose statement. But the, the power of having a statement like that, the power of me being able to say this to you, Cressida, is that I hear myself saying it and I take myself this little bit more serious. And this goes to what you said, Cressida, about women not valuing themselves because of all the centuries of oppression that we carry in our DNA. And so the act of saying I matter and here is how I want to matter is like, wow. And it has nothing to do with any job you have, right? Or any external validation or anything. Because I can have my purpose whether I work for Women for Women International or whether I don't. That is irrelevant. And it's, it gives you this strength that is within you. And a purpose could simply, simply be, you know, someone who wants a family and wants to have children and wants to be a mother. It doesn't have to be this, you know, huge, grand purpose. It can be as simple as that. And you, you said it, you said in your book that much of the inequality we see is rooted in our inability to be inspired by each other, to connect with each other and to see our own reflection in each other. I love this because I was speaking to someone the other day and they, and they said, a lot of the things that we don't like in ourselves, that we reject, we see in others and then we reject them 
And I thought, yeah, that's, I, I think that is so, so true. And actually, if we could just be aware of that, then we could just connect with each other more, perhaps. I mean, that is just absolutely 100% what I believe. I believe that every time I find um, someone challenging inverted commas, I know that there is something within them that is resonating something within me that I don't really like. Because the, and this is an ongoing journey, the journey of liking and loving everything that you are, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, everything, that has been a lifelong journey for me. And I definitely have uh, embraced feelings of envy, feelings of dislike, and feelings that you would label as negative, right? So this binary positive negative, obviously, I think is also something I'm trying to move away from, but you would normally label those kind of emotions as negative. And I had a very strong sense that I I would not deserve to be successful or to, to have luck in my life until I would be good, and so because obviously I know myself and I and I sense envy and, and whatever other feelings that I really don't like and I don't want and I don't think are good in inverted commas, I would therefore then continuously think that I wasn't deserving of good treatment, for example. I wasn't deserving of success, for example. And I realized that that was completely holding me back and that in what world was anyone that I loved, for example, perfect? And, you know, not having those kind of very human, yes, ego driven, but very human feelings. And so I, I embarked on this journey of embracing those feelings and just saying, oh, OK, right. Wow. Okay, I feel I feel really envious. That's really interesting. Why are you feeling envious? So instead of judging the feeling, be curious. So I would be like, oh, why am I envious? Oh, it's because I want to do that, too. That's why. <laughs> That's so. Well, Britta, why don't you then? Right? So, and then it's fascinating, right? You've also said that when you became a mother, you had all these plans about having the perfect birth and breastfeeding in the perfect way. And I've heard other mothers talk about this as well. And I'd love you to just talk a bit more because I think it's really important that sense of perfection and doing it right, which actually ultimately just can't exist. Exactly. Because what does it mean to do something right? I mean, who decides that? This is the thing. I mean, obviously, you know, we talk about the law and there are obviously, you know, certain things that you might do that are illegal. And, you know, that is definitely kind of right and wrong. But in terms of the, you know, do, doing the mothering right, like, you know, I want to be a really good mother and I hope I'm going to do it right. Uh what sort of measurement are you talking about? And who is going to assess whether it's right or wrong? And isn't it much more about you and what you want and trusting yourself and, and trusting also that when you make mistakes, that there's a reason why you made those mistakes and that you can learn from them and you can move on. And And I do wish that I had had that insight at a younger age before I had my children because I know it would have helped me so greatly but that's obviously um doesn't really make sense to even say that because I've learned what I've learned because of the you know the the experiences that I've had and so obviously I wanted to be you know an amazing mum because I was excited about being a mum and I wanted to do everything right, as you say, and and based on 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 the kind of norms surrounding me, I felt that I, you know, I didn't, and and that hurt and pain was really deep. What did you find that you thought in your head that you weren't doing right? 
So I, so I, I, I wanted no medication and I wanted a home birth. So that was the first thing, right? Because I just thought, okay, I want to give my child the best possible start. And everything I'd read was like, this would be the best, you know, you just be at home, not in hospital, not medication. No. And I, yeah, anyway, there were problem. there were problems um, during my birth and I had to go to hospital and then I had to, you know, I had, I did have an epidural after like 48 hours of excruciating labor and so all of that happened and in the end I had a healthy baby but I kept thinking I failed I'd failed I'd failed to be you know do the birth thing the way that I should have been able to because I'm a healthy strong woman why was I not able to do this I mean you know that was big and and then the breastfeeding ah I loved breastfeeding I just loved it and I wanted to do it like forever and it wasn't producing enough milk. I mean, and, and to this day, to be honest, this is one that I'm still kind of think I should have done this. Day. I should have insisted. I should have. I should have. I should have. You know, and, and every time you find yourself thinking I should have, you, it's such a good indication that you need to stop for a moment and ask yourself, why are you beating yourself up? What is the need? Why are you doing that? Because it doesn't serve any purpose. Where is that coming from? why you know and that's what I do now and I take a deep breath and you know and and I try and let it go and but it, it can be it can be really hard to when when there's something that you really 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 wanted and it didn't work out to not to be your own worst judge the whole time yeah and I think sometimes if we really really want something we have more of a plan of something that we you know, want less. It's it's very structured in our mind, and we visualize this kind of perfect world, which just doesn't that doesn't work. Life doesn't work like that, especially you know with things that's not not in our control. Britta, I'm coming coming towards the end. I could talk to you all day, but I'd love to ask you if you could point to a specific experience or moment in your life that changed you forever I mean talking about your children I'm I'm sure that was one of them but anything that you can point to that changed you yeah I I thought about a few things and definitely my children would have been one and but the one that I actually thought of was when I was 11 I, I, I traveled with my family to Israel for the summer holidays and we went to Jerusalem and we visited the genocide memorial and that experience was life-changing because I felt a sadness so deep that I at the time could not comprehend but then became part of me and it was it was as if I was a moment when I grew up I just remember that and it was also really symbolic that that journey, I had a um, a soft toy that I was given for my birth, and it was it was my my thing that I was always have with, and I would always sleep with it. And this was one of the things actually I had to sleep with with Emil. That was the name of my soft toy um, in order for my parents to be safe. I mean, it was like Emil was everything, and I lost him that day in Jerusalem. I I lost him. And, and I, and I just the other day, I hadn't thought about this. And I thought to myself, you know, that was very symbolic because I lost that childhood innocence and I learned about the world and the horrors and the deepest sadness. And I remembered that when I, 12 years ago, when I went to Srebrenica for the first time in Bosnia and I visited genocide memorial there and, and the, the cemetery. And, and it was as if I was 
transported back to Jerusalem and that feeling and that sense. And, and I realized that that feeling is part of my fears. It's part of my desire to talk about the shared humanity, to encourage us to look into each other's eyes and see the humanity, even when you cannot understand so much of what the other person might have done or represent. And, and that was an incredible moment. And is there a special book or writing in your life that has given you belief and, and hope? Yeah, there's so many, so many books. I've just read a recent one, which unfortunately doesn't exist in English. So um, I'm probably going to, uh, but it's, it's in English, it would have been called The Fairy Tale About Death. And it's written by a Dutch woman. And it's it's so beautiful. It's a little book and it's so beautiful because it tells the story of a little soul that decides for the first time to come to earth and have a human experience. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. But the other one that I really love and I speak about in my book is The the Four Agreements by oh, Don yes. Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. And, and it's just a really beautiful, again, small book um, that everyone can read and my daughters have read. And he is he's found a really simple way with these four agreements that if you live by them, they fundamentally change your 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 life. And and I try and live by those four agreements. And and that's been really meaningful. I read that a while ago, Britta, and I actually hearing that makes me want to read it again. And for all the listeners, I'm gonna put these in the in the show notes. And who has inspired you the most and why? Definitely my daughters. I mean just hands down biggest gift um because I do I just the longer I play the role of a mother the more I believe that you you know it's a gift that your children like choose you and you choose them and it's a tough 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 journey but the the what you learn along the way is absolutely unbelievable and the love you know the love that you feel opens your heart in such a way that 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 obviously there's a direct line. And so the inspiration that you feel when you witness, you know, someone who's that close to you evolving and growing and developing this immense emotional intelligence and this insight into the world, it is nothing more inspiring. I mean, it's just incredible. And is there something that has improved your life? Yes, stillness. So I used to, I I mean, I... People call me intense, right? So I can say this about myself. I'm intense. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really driven. I have so much energy. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of things I want to do. And I love it. I love doing things. I love being active. And, you know, it's, I guess how I managed to write a book, you know, in my spare time alongside a, you know, really busy job and doing the coaching and everything. And I realized that doing is a beautiful energy and being is a very different but equally beautiful energy. And it's taken me a long time to really understand that and to value it and to have that stillness. It doesn't even have to be meditation. You know, I mean, I do, I do meditation and that helped me a lot to find that stillness. But now it's just one deep breath and, you know, just, even you can hear it in my voice, it's just one deep breath immediately kind of just grounds me and, tuning in with my body and and just kind of saying hello like hi you know and and asking myself Britta what do you need and that is an incredibly powerful practice 
Oh, I love that, Britta. I'm just watching you now and I found myself copying you, <laughs> taking a deep breath in and just being still. Because a lot of the time, I certainly feel like I'm somewhere up here, you know, like, whoa, <laughs> in, in the sky. And actually, if you just still and take a deep breath and just, oh, it's just, it makes such a difference, even now doing it now with you here. And my last question is, what would you do if you were not afraid? I can't, I don't, I can't, to be honest, I cannot imagine not being fearful because I have now become best friends or I try and be best friends with my fear. And so I'm now at a stage where potentially I don't even want to not be afraid. But, um, but I know that what I do when I follow my fears is I speak my truth and I'm not scared to take the risk that others might feel uncomfortable. That, I think, is the greatest thing, that if I was not afraid of hurting others or making other people uncomfortable, I would be even more straightforward. I would, I would say what I need without fear that it will somehow upset other people around me and I would set clearer boundaries yeah, that's what I would do. I so um, relate to that, Britta, so much. <laughs> Thank you, Britta, so, so much. I'd love to just end on this poem extract by Mark Antony, which actually you put in your book. Um, and it's one I found that I think really links to everything that you, you teach. And one day she discovered that she was fierce and strong and full of fire and that not even she could hold herself back because her passion burned brighter than her fears. I mean, isn't it just absolutely... It literally moves me to tears because this speaks to what we said, Cressetta, doesn't it? That our power is sometimes bigger than we feel we can understand. Thank you, Britta, so, so much for being here. What an honour, and I just love this conversation. So did I, Cressida. Thank you so much. I just loved connecting with you and thank you for the thoughtful question and this beautiful conversation. Thanks to Britta Fernandez-Schmidt for joining me on the podcast. Next week, I'll be speaking to art historian and philosopher John Armstrong. Keep up to date by liking, reviewing and subscribing to Fear Itself on your favourite podcast app. I always love to hear from my listeners. Let me know what you think about the show, if you've been inspired by any of the conversations, or simply just get in touch to tell me a bit about you. You can find me on Instagram. You've been listening to Fear Itself, presented by me, Cressida Bonus. This podcast was produced by One Fine Play. Executive producer is James Bishop. Editorial producer and editor is Oli Giyu. Additional creative support from Selena Christophidis. Louise Berry, Jessica Williams, Emily Weller and Connor Foley with music by Malt Mutton. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.